0: Thanks for tuning in to Redeeming Grace Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace Bible Church, it's our full conviction, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray as a result of this sermon, you come to see and know Christ more clearly And if you do not yet know Christ, that you might also come to see him as Lord and Savior.
1: And uh, Gerben will come pick up for us at verse
2: 20. 1 Samuel, chapter 20. Verse 20. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and in the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, You shall be swept away, both you and your king. And we see the grass fading and the flowers fade. But the word of our God remains forever.
1: Thank you, Gervin. Let's go to the Lord and ask his help as we look at his word here together. Bow with me, please. Father, we come before you, and even as we sing, Lord, we acknowledge that your word is living light and it is food for famished ones. And God, we know as our bodies depend on water and food each day, Lord, we depend upon your word. And we remember that Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so we praise you that you have preserved uh, these scriptures for us, Lord, once spoken through the mouths of of men, Lord, those uh, holy men carried along by your Holy Spirit. But God, that now these have been written down for our encouragement, for our instruction. And Lord, that uh, even as we sing, we we know that all scripture uh, is meant to help us to see and understand Christ more clearly. And so we do pray that that would be the effect of your word this morning that we would be, uh, Lord, able to understand who you are more clearly and this work that you've done for us through Christ. And so, God, we look to you for help by your spirit, that you would, Lord, uh, speak through my words as we look to open up your word together. Lord, I pray that it would be in accordance with all that you have revealed, that the hearts of your people would be receptive and sensitive to your spirit's convicting and encouraging and instruction this morning. We pray this all for Jesus' sake. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I know that uh, last week we had Cliff Kriz here with us, and he was gracious to uh, bring the word of God and preach to us from Mark's gospel, looking at the the Lord's Supper. And so... uh, been a couple of weeks since we've looked at Samuel together and I know uh, two weeks ago I I left off kind of in the middle of a a thought. We were considering the work of Samuel on behalf of God towards his people and we we looked at his work of prayer and how uh, the work that Samuel was doing was based upon this promise that God would not forsake his people and would Uh, would, would establish a people who are called by his name according to his pleasure. And so this morning, I want to pick up on that and look at this other aspect of Samuel's ministry as the teaching prophet. And in the greater context here, just to remember that the situation is that God's people had rebelled against him by demanding a king. God gave them their request in Saul and Saul had a decisive victory against the Ammonites and the people were rejoicing. They were feeling uh, encouraged. They were ready to crown Saul as king. And so Samuel says to them, let us return to Gilgal and there we'll renew the kingdom. An interesting phrase that Samuel would use. And so Samuel, as he addresses the people and his time as a judge is drawing to a close, Samuel rebukes the people for their sin. And he confirms that his rebuke is of God by a sign of lightning and thunder during the wheat harvest, which would not have been a normal time for them to have that sort of weather. And and so the people are now afraid and they're fearful. They, They feel guilty in their sin. And the question is then, how are they going to move forward? How does God respond to a people who are guilty in their sin before him? And we're told they're fearful of God and of Samuel. And so we find God is committed to them because they're called by his name and it's pleased him. And then Samuel says in verse uh, 23, Moreover, as for me, and so we have then in this section Samuel's response as the prophet of God to the people of God. Samuel says, as for me, as for my response to you. And then we have the response. And so... You know, we, we can think about even ourselves living in a, a modern world. And uh, I thought about even the example of uh, we, we all depend um, likely on electronics. And these electronics, they, they tend to wear down, they tend to always need to be charged up. And they need to be renewed. And uh, I imagine that uh, many of us have developed into our routine each day to charge the phone. You go to bed, you plug it in, you make sure it's got a full charge uh, at the beginning of the day. And and yet spiritually speaking, we're also a people that constantly are in need of renewal. We're in need of, of recharging, if you will. And perhaps we find ourselves something like the people of Israel at various points in our life convicted of guilt, maybe overwhelmed with our circumstances, maybe overwhelmed with the the things going on in the world around us. And the question is then, how do we move forward? How does God instruct us through his prophet to proceed from this point? What, What does God provide for us in Samuel? And so, We first see that that Samuel, in response here, and uh, there are some parallels for us as well, that Samuel, first of all, commits himself to his work in response to the people's need. So the prophet, first of all, commits himself to his work. And as I said, we already looked at the aspect of prayer as part of this work that Samuel is doing in response to a people that are convicted and needing direction. But the other part of his work that he commits himself to, we find in verse 23, he says, first of all, I will not sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And secondly, Samuel says, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. And so we have this twofold work of Samuel as God's prophet to minister to the people of God. And and this category of prophet is something that maybe is a little confusing at times because it's a word that's used throughout the scripture from Old Testament to New Testament. And so it's maybe difficult sometimes to have a clear picture of of what this office is. But here I think it helps us to understand this office of prophet in the Old Testament was an office of not only praying for God's people, but taking God's word, delivering God's word to God's people, instructing them in the things of God. Uh, the, the Lexham Bible Dictionary said this about the, the, the office prophet and his work that he does. He says, although the word prophecy often evokes images of people who predict the future, Hebrew prophets primarily anticipated the punishment of evil and or a better life on earth for faithful Israelites. They spoke the truth about the present, And what would happen if people did not change their behavior and return to Yahweh's ways? So prophets sometimes, yes, spoke about the future events to come. And that's generally how we often think about the prophet prophesying what's yet to come. But prophecy can be either in foretelling the future or in simply foretelling the word of God proclaiming God's word to God's people in their present circumstance. And that's exactly what we find Samuel doing here. He's giving himself to this work, committing to this work of instructing and teaching. And this is part of his prophetic ministry. In fact, if you go back for a moment to Deuteronomy 18, we see this is not unique only to Samuel. But even Moses himself stood as a sort of prophet and one who would give the word of God to the people of God and instruct them when they are unsure how to proceed, when they're unsure uh, how to move forward in a way that honors the Lord. Of course, in Deuteronomy 18, we have just previous the, the, the scene at Mount Sinai, the people have come to the mountain of God after being delivered, and yet they... Uh, make the golden calf. They sin against God. And Moses comes down and, and God is ready to destroy the people. He's ready to, to annihilate them and start over with Moses. And Moses intercedes for them. And, and then we have, as God uh, instructs Moses to then to get, uh, again, the, the stones, cut the stones and, and to write out the, the law for the people. And Moses is instructing the people on how to move forward and what God requires of them in this covenant So verse 15 of chapter 18, Deuteronomy uh, 18, 15, listen to how Moses talks about the prophet here and his role. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, this is Moses talking, uh, like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to the words that he shall speak in my name, I will myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. If you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken in the presumptuously, you need not be afraid of him." So Moses tells the people of Israel, after me is coming another prophet, and he will proclaim the word of God to you, and because he proclaims God's word, you are obligated to obey him, to listen to him. And a test to know if this is a false prophet or a true prophet is if he says things, if he prophesies things that do not come to pass, then we can rest assured that is a false prophet, which... Interestingly, eliminates the 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 cult completely. You look at various so-called prophets, Joseph Smith. Uh, you can line them up, Ellen White. You know, um, and just and, and all of the various so-called prophets that we may want people may want to claim. They they claim many things that didn't come true, and and yet Samuel stands here as the prophet of God in a way fulfilling even what Moses spoke. Uh, but but ultimately, we know this this work of the prophet points us forward throughout the Old Testament into the New. This is a pattern of the work of the prophet who God uses to guide and to equip and strengthen and direct his people. We know from Hebrews 1 that long ago, the author tells us, that many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So the prophets in the Old Testament are the voice of God to God's people, that they would move forward. And a part of this work is that of instruction, of teaching the word of God, that they may move forward. And we can see from Noah to Abraham, Abraham to Moses, Moses to Samuel, Samuel to Elijah, Elijah even all the way to John the Baptist, these faithful prophets of God, Proclaim the word, calling the people to repent, calling the people to seek after God. And they give themselves to this work of instruction and teaching the people of God. And we know that Jesus himself is the prophet of God to whom all the rest point. And as our prophet, Christ takes faithfully the word of God and instructs us. And so Samuel is speaking, not on his own authority, but on behalf of even Christ himself. And so this continues, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New. For us, as New Covenant Christians, we receive from Christ our prophet, the word of God, the instruction from God, and he uses means uh, to, to continue this work through the Scriptures. It's interesting, Jesus coming to the end of his... Earthly ministry in John 17, 8. Um, about this, he, he praying to the father said, for I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. Jesus says, I have faithfully given the words, the instructions to your people while I was with them and they have come to believe and that's exactly the work that Samuel is also giving himself to. And we see even the apostles of Christ continue in this pattern. As, the, as Christ comes, the, the, the time of the prophets, the office of the apostle comes to a close. And Christ establishes the apostles as the New Testament uh, messengers, if you will, of the Word of God who will instruct the people in this same work that Samuel was doing. And we find in Acts 6 4 that the the apostles, when faced with with administrative challenges in in caring for the widows, they said, no, we cannot cannot be distracted by these needs. As important as they are, they instructed the church to appoint godly men, spirit-filled, to look over these needs so that they could give themselves to the instruction of the word and to prayer. And so we see this pattern. God guides and directs us as his people. He comforts us through the instruction of his word. And as the age of the apostles comes to a close, as the apostles die, that office also closes. We don't have apostles today uh, in that sense. And some might say, well, the word just means to be sent or a sent one. And yes, that's true. But I think it's better to not use the term apostle because it creates a lot of confusion. This is a unique office through which God speaks his divine revelation. And so... In the church, we then have elders who are to carry out this work of instruction in the word of God. And, and this is a pattern we see throughout the New Testament. So as the people of God, we need to receive this instruction. If we are often maybe wondering or we're struggling with our emotions, we're struggling with how do we respond in this situation, we need to seek out the instruction of God. And that might mean to you yourself open the word and and, and through the instruction of the Holy Spirit who must ultimately illuminate our minds, illuminate our hearts, uh, the Spirit operating through Christ, our high priest, our prophet, teaches us, but God also uses those in the church who are gifted in teaching and the expounding of God's word. And this is a means which we are directed and comforted and encouraged. And Samuel faithfully gave himself to this work. And I, as I you know, often ask you to continue to pray for me in that, uh, it is a tremendous blessing, even, you know, since March, to be able to devote myself more wholeheartedly to this work. And uh, and, and I find that my own brain is often being stretched, and I'm challenged, and I'm seeking to, to grow in my ability and handling of the Word of God. And, uh, and I'm so grateful for that opportunity. But I also covet your prayers to be diligent in that. Uh, it struck me even yesterday, I was thinking, about the fact that I'm, you know, getting close to 40 now. And uh, there's a good chance that that more of my life is behind me now than is in front of me. And it's kind of a sobering thought. I mean, perhaps I, you know, make it to... Uh, we, I met with a pastor um, last weekend. It was 94, and you know, perhaps the Lord grants that many years, but, but perhaps not. And, and, and my, my prayer has been, God, if you would grant me uh, 30 more years to just give myself to the instruction of the word, that would be time well spent. But also for you to think about the areas the Lord has placed you, whether it's a mom who is instructing children uh, through school and and you too have this opportunity to open the word, to guide them and direct them in in the ministry in which God has given you. Fathers instructing your family, taking time to lead in family worship, to open the word of God together. And this is a, a primary way in which God directs his people. He comforts us. He guides us in, in the way we are to go to draw near to himself. So we see Samuel commits himself to his work. And this is a way God ministers to his people. But Samuel also communicates God's message To the people. He commits himself to this work. And he also communicates God's message to the people. And we see the message that Samuel gives. It is very. uh, In some ways simple. But also very profound. uh, As Samuel addresses them. And this is something he's repeated throughout this section. The message to the people. He, He tells them. In verse 24. The message that he gives. Only fear the Lord. And serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. So Samuel, uh, giving himself to this work, now communicates the message of God. And his message to them is, fear the Lord, serve him with all of your heart, and to remember and consider the works that God has done for you. And we think about the word fear as part of this message that Samuel gives. And it's a word that is difficult for us because we see it used in many different contexts. Even in this passage before us, we saw that uh, the the people were fearful of Samuel. They're fearful of God, that he would destroy them because of their guilt. And so they ask Samuel to pray. And then Samuel says, do not be afraid, for the Lord uh, has called you by his name. He is faithful to his promises. So don't fear Israelites. God is, is comforting you now. Um, and then again, here we find Samuel says to fear the Lord. And we want to say, well, what on earth is this supposed to mean? Do we fear God? Do we not fear God? How are we supposed to fear God? And this is one of those words that we, we have uh, used in different senses. This is one of the great problems with Well, I guess not just the English language, but language in general is sometimes we have to use the same word to mean different things. And uh, it can be somewhat confusing for us. So the first sense in which this word is often used in Scripture is to be afraid or to feel anxious or to be apprehensive. Uh, And and so, you know, it's the sort of fear that you you might have of driving in the dark. Sometimes, you know, if we're out late, especially this time of year is... You find yourself getting caught in the dark once again, uh, if you're out somewhere and the sun's getting down early. And my wife generally does not like driving in the dark and she'll usually ask me to, to drive in the dark. And there's a sort of fear associated with that. Or uh, my wife likes to bug me as well that I have, a, uh, I would say, a, a slight fear of moths. It's not an extreme fear, but um, I have been known to react a little uh, overly when, when a moth randomly flies. I think it's the fact that these moths fly so sporadically. And so you're looking at it one second and the next second it's diving at your face. And so I just don't like them. It's something of a fear. Uh, And you may have various fears that that you have in your life. And, and, And so that's one sense in which this word is used. And no doubt that's what the people were feeling as they were rebuked by Samuel. They were aware that God could destroy them, that they could be cut off from his promises because of their sin. And so there was a sort of dread through which Samuel says, don't give in to that sort of dread and fear. But the other sense, and the sense in which I believe Samuel means here in this message to the people, is a sense that um, it is to regard with feelings of respect and reverence, to consider hallowed or exalted or to be in awe of. And so that's another way in which this word is used. And uh, I, I love the definition uh, a man named John Brown gave of this type of fear of God, which we're commended to have. He said, the fear of God is walking in that attitude and disposition in which we regard, we regard the smile of God as our greatest delight, our primary aim. And we regard the frown of God as the greatest thing to be dreaded. And it is in that sense that Samuel says, fear the Lord. Consider the smile of God upon your life as the greatest delight. That which you are aiming for. Uh, you know, even uh, some of you may listen to R.C. Sproul. Um, the Renewing Your Mind. And he often had the Coramdale thought of the day. And corumdale means to to live before the face of god it, it's living with this awareness that god sees us and he's looking at our lives and our aim is to to please him to obey his word and that in that sense we fear him we don't fear the opinions and thoughts of man and what they think of us we don't care about the applause of man but we desire the smile and the, 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 the pleasure of God upon our lives. And in that sense, we, we fear the Lord. It's also, uh, I know I've used it before, and uh, John Piper, I think, came up with the picture with, in regards to the fear of God, comparing it something like standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon where there is this mixture of, of emotion. there There, there is in the one sense, and, and I haven't been there, but, uh, you know, Gerben could attest to it maybe, who's been to the Grand Canyon, but I've been other, you know, in, in Jasper, Banff, uh, you know, some of these massive waterfalls. And, and there's a sense in which you want to draw close. You want to get close to the edge and, and look out at the vastness and your your soul is kind of drawn into the magnitude and the beauty of it. But at the same time, you're aware that one misstep could result in your death, could actually bring about your destruction. So there's a sense of fear and trembling. And and, uh, John Piper made the point that that's something like the fear of God. We we are overwhelmed with his beauty, with his magnitude, with his holiness. We we realize we're made to worship this God, but at the same time we realize that he is holy and, and, and there's a sense of trembling before him. And Samuel calls the people to fear the Lord. He communicates this message to them, Israel, Fear this God. Walk before him in awe and reverence. In fact, this is something that the unbeliever lacks. Psalm 36.1 describes the wicked in this way. He says, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes, that his iniquity cannot be found out. And hated. And so the, the, the wicked, their primary problem is there is no fear of God before them. They, they do not perceive God as glorious and majestic, and, and they, they go about their, their sinful and wicked ways with no sense in which the God of heaven is watching and they will give an account to him. You know, sometimes maybe you're driving down the, the road, and suddenly behind you there's flashing lights. And and your immediate response is Am I speeding? Am I am I going too fast? Is my registration up to date? Am I wearing my seatbelt? Are my kids wearing their seatbelts? Kids, put on your seatbelts quickly. There's a police car. And, and, and this sense of awareness come, comes upon us. And, and that's something like the, the fear of God. As we realize who He is and we examine ourselves, there's this sudden sense of fear that we need to be right with this God. The Psalms also speak of the blessing of those who do fear the Lord. Psalm 111 verse 10 says the king is not saved by his great army, a warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might it cannot rescue. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. Or Psalm 33, 16, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Or I love Psalm 34, 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. And this is one of those primary marks of the child of God. They they fear the Lord. And... Just as Samuel called the people, in the same way, we are called to fear the Lord and to live out our lives before him. Now, Samuel also in his message, not only calls them to fear the Lord, but he calls them to wholehearted service, to serve the Lord with their whole heart. And we recognize this as well. This is not just a word to Israel, but this is the first table of the law, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Samuel tells them, this is what God requires of you. This is your way forward, to serve the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your being. This is what it looks like to truly worship the Lord in righteousness. And I know uh, I, I quoted, uh, or I tried to quote last week, the, um, I'm not as familiar with the, the um, Westminster Catechism, the, but uh, the first question there is, what is the chief end of man? Last week, I think I said to, to love God and to enjoy Him forever. And it's supposed to be to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And, and, and this is our chief end, or as we review with our children, why has God made you in all things for his own glory. It's, it's the same answer. And this is at the heart of our problem. Isn't it? Samuel says you must serve this God. With all of your heart. And yet this is at the very part. Where mankind fails. This is what we cannot do. In and of our own strength. Even as Glenn reviewed with the children. Uh, we, we cannot do this in our own power. And Israel is a picture of this. As you read through the Old Testament, you just see this constant cycle of of falling short to love God with all their heart. And this continual turning to the idols, turning to the, the ways of the nation and God chastising them and rebuking them. This is where we all fall short to truly love God with all of our heart and soul, like the rich man who came to Jesus and said, Lord, I I want to follow you. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And he, in his mind, has obeyed all the commands of God. And yet Jesus, after listing a few, and he's like, oh yeah, I honor father and mother, and and I I keep all these things since I was a child. And then Jesus looks at him and says, okay, then I want you to, to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And Jesus, in that moment, exposes in that young man a divided heart. A heart that is not holy and faithfully serving the Lord. His heart is divided. I'm sure on the one hand, his motives were sincere. He genuinely was asking Jesus how to inherit eternal life. But Jesus points to this idol, this, this thing to which he was holding on. And Jesus tests him if his heart is loyal to Christ alone. And we know that all of us struggle with this in our life. It may not be riches. It could be our spouse. It could be our children. It could be our work. It could be our property. It it could be uh, anything, essentially, that we will set our heart upon. And and in in our affections, we become divided, not wholly devoted to Christ. And so the answer for us is not that we must save ourselves through Obedience, but we look to Christ who came and perfectly loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength every day of his life. And then Jesus goes to the cross to suffer and die in our place, r- r- dying as though he were the worst of sinners, rising in victory, that we might be forgiven and we might be counted as righteous. And then, as spirit-filled followers of Christ, we are now enabled to walk according to his word. We too are called to serve him wholeheartedly. And this is a process of sanctification in our life. We, we are continuing to, to grow in this, continuing to crucify the flesh, to take up our cross, which is an instrument of death. We crucify daily the old man and its desires and those, those divided hearts. We come to the Lord asking that he would help us to walk in this. And Samuel, the final part of his message is simply to consider what God has done. Consider the great works of God. And this is something the Israelite people were often uh, instructed to do. Uh, And I just want to quickly look at even again the words of uh, Moses. And I know we're running out of time here, but I'm just going to go for a minute to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Oh, I'm going the wrong direction. I suppose it helped to go the right way. Deuteronomy 32. Because the, the, song, the songs of Moses are even referenced in, in Revelation. And you look at the song of Moses. He's giving instruction. But there's also this wonderful, wonderful recounting of the works of God. And Samuel is telling the people of Israel, you too need to recount the works of God. Remember what he has done. And, and we see it, and this is also true of us in the new, new Covenant to remember. Um, in Deuteronomy 32, we have this song of Moses. He says, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work, is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob his allotted heritage and he just goes on recounting the works and the faithfulness of God and in this way we are encouraged and directed and also instructed built up in the Lord. Samuel tells the people again here consider what God has done recount his deeds and like I said this is uh, something that we Also, as new covenant Christians, we too must continually remember. In in many ways, we we gather today on the Lord's Day, not only to encourage one another and to fellowship and look forward to the things uh, uh, that God has promised, but we also remember. We, We gather on the first day because we're remembering that it was on the first day that Jesus rose from the dead. We are remembering and considering what he has done in this great salvation. And the third way in which God directs and guides his people through Samuel, not only do we see Samuel committing to his work and communicating God's message, but lastly, Samuel cautions them with a warning at the end of this section. He says, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. And so he cautions them with this warning that if they continue on in their wickedness If they continue on in their idolatry, they will be swept away, both you and your king, he says. And we see this principle, especially in the Mosaic Covenant, of of obedience resulting in blessing, disobedience resulting in in the curse of God, and in the, the judgment of God upon the people. And Samuel's reminding them of this. Yes, in this moment... The the Israelite people seem repentant. They seem eager to do what the Lord has said. But Samuel says, moving forward, you must persevere in righteousness. And if you do not, you will be swept away. And this king of yours, he also will be swept away. Now, of course, we must be careful in looking at the Promises and the warnings in the Old Testament, uh, because sometimes it is very unique to the people, very unique to the covenant in which God is dealing with them, and uh, and so you know we want to be careful and not misapplying some of the warnings here. Um, so we'd have to ask: Well, do we see similar kinds of warnings in the New Testament for us as believers, and of course as a church, we. Affirm, you know, the 1689 Confession, which has this wonderful chapter on the, on the perseverance of the saints, on the assurance that God will finish the work He's begun in us, and that God will not abandon us after uh, this work of salvation. So we, we rejoice in that truth, but we also do need to hear sometimes the warnings of God's word. Take, for example, Romans 11. A very sobering passage for us. Paul in Romans eleven seventeen gives a very similar sounding warning. And he says, if some of the branches were broken off. So he's comparing the, the covenant of, of, of God's redemption and grace that is even seen in the life of Israel. As this great root and, and, and vine that is growing up and, and Israel as a, an, an original branch was once a part of this tree and they're, they're broken off because of disobedience, he says. And, and then Paul goes on to compare us to this wild olive shoot that's grafted in to this tree. And so Romans eleven seventeen he says... Uh, But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and are now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches, Paul says. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true, Paul says. They were broken off because of our unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And we hear that warning of Paul, and and we may be a little bit shocked It's like, wait a minute, we're we're not saved by works. We're not in a a works covenant that we are saved by grace. Why is Paul talking this way? And he's not the only one. Hebrews 10 has a very similar sort of warning to those who profess faith in Christ. In fact, he not only contrasts it with Moses, but he says we have even a greater obligation in Hebrews 10, 28. He writes, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And we see these warnings in the New Testament to us as God's people. And we may struggle, how do we make sense of this? And Jesus in John 15 gives the helpful picture of the vine and that we are the branches. And as we remain in him who is the vine, we bear much fruit. But he says, any branch that is unfruitful will be cut away, cast into the fire, So, do we conclude that we're kept by our own effort and therefore we can be lost if we stop performing? And the secret lies in even the picture of Abraham who Paul uses as an example of being saved by grace through faith. He says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by the works of another. We're saved by Christ. And we trust in the sufficiency of what he has done in his death and resurrection. And we are saved because of that. But James also, we spent a fair bit of time in James. James also looks at Abraham and says, do you see Abraham did not spare his own son, but was ready to offer him up to God. And therefore, Abraham shows that we're not saved merely by faith, but by works. And we think, what is he talking about? As we look at the life of Abraham, we see that, yes, he was saved by grace through faith in God, but his entire life bore witness to the fact that that faith was saving faith. It was true faith. He was truly converted by God, by the Spirit, and he bore fruit that was consistent with his profession And so it's not that we are justified by works, but rather our justification before God is validated, is is made evident by the works that we do. And we know that it is not us, but it is the Spirit of God Within us. And so the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints uh, is that those who truly are born of God will per- persevere in repentance and faith. They will go on repenting and believing. Those that fall away, those that make shipwreck of their faith, prove themselves, have never actually been properly grafted in, properly drawing from the nourishing sap of the tree. And so that's an important distinction. And the the same was true for Israel. You had those among the Israelite nation who were true believers in God. They were born again. They were saved by the Spirit of God. And they bore evidence. And those who thought they were because of their, maybe their lineage to Abraham. Or because of their circumcision or whatever it might be. But there was no fruit. And Samuel warns them, if you continue in wickedness, God will. We'll cast you away. And in short time, that's absolutely what happened. Saul's reign was very short. His family line cut off from the line of the kings. The people of Israel soon to be sent into exile. The, the, the nation once unified, split into northern and southern. And, and, and you know some of you are also reading through uh, uh, Kings and Chronicles right now. And you just see the, the chaos that follows the godless kings that come and go. So finally, we see God brings renewal and direction to his people time and time again. And God uses similar means that he did here in Israel for us through the faithful work of the prophets and the apostles and Christ and the ongoing work through teachers and instructors. We are guided and directed and comforted, sanctified. We also are called to heed this message that Samuel communicated We ourselves to fear God, to serve God in the strength of his spirit, and to heed the warnings of God's word, to persevere in righteousness until the end. And we rejoice that Christ himself is our true prophet and is continually instructing us by his spirit through the various means that he's appointed, through teachers and, and, and maybe it's a, a book that you're able to read that helps you or a, a podcast. We pray you continue to gather as we open the word together that Christ would guide and direct us as our true prophet. So let us close there this morning with prayer and uh, we'll pick up again next week. Bow with me, please. Father, we come before you and we see your mercy time and time again, Lord, not only in the life of Israel as you faithfully guide and direct them through your prophets and, Lord, your, your word that comes to them. Lord, we also see that uh, we, like Israel, often do fall short and find ourselves guilty before you and perhaps wondering what the, the path forward looks like. And God, we pray that you would help us to, to cling to Christ who has instructed us in our ignorance Lord, has gone to the cross and suffered and died, that we would be forgiven. And, Lord, that we would now, as, as born-again Christians, we would fear you and serve you wholeheartedly, Lord. That we would praise you for your works in righteousness. To heed the warnings, Lord, that we would not grow weary, but continue to run the race set before us. Lord, rejoicing that Christ has already run before us and has entered into the most holy place, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. So we ask for strength and wisdom as we move forward. Give us persevering hearts, we ask, Lord, for your namesake. We ask this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon preached at Redeeming Grace Bible Church. If you'd like to find out more about Redeeming Grace Bible Church or find other sermons and resources, please visit us online at www.redeeminggracechurch.ca. We pray that the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.